0: We dedicate this episode of Zilch to the lovely Yvonne Craig. We are sad to hear of her passing. She was my first crush. And whether it be fighting crime on the streets of Gotham or being a green girl with Captain Kirk, she was a powerful part of our culture and our entertainment. We thank you for everything, Yvonne. You made it hard for anyone else to fill those boots. You gotta know that girl, that girl, that girl. What number is this, Jim? Episode 38 our discussion of side two of Pisces Aquarius, Capricorn, and Jones Limited, and we announce our Zilch t-shirt winner. (laughs) Okay, don't get excited, man. It's because I'm short.
1: You're listening to Zilch, a monkey's podcast.
0: that familiar music you know you are listening to your monkeys podcast i'm ken mills and i'm joined right now by sarah clark who is here i am here to announce to announce the winner of our zilch t-shirt this and is exciting we we use the randomizer and it yep. gives us who is the winner
2: the winner is andrea Ritchie.
0: Congratulations, Andrea Ritchie. We didn't make you guys wait long to find out who won. So if that's the only reason you're listening to today's episode, you can turn it off now. But then you'd miss us talking about side two of Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, and Jones Limited. So stick around for that. <laughs> and, and of course, Sarah, the way that people entered that contest to win that shirt, they had to vote for their top five favorite episodes of zilch
2: yes they did
0: do you have the top five as voted on by our fine zilch audience
2: okay our top five episodes are in fifth place uh zilch number 29 bobby hart
0: that was a good one
2: I really enjoyed that. That was one of my favorite interviews. You did an excellent job with that, Ken. And uh, Thank you. if you have not bought his new book, uh, "Psychedelic Bubblegum," please do so. It's wonderful. Coming in at number four, our album discussion of "Remember" from Mickey Dolenz.
0: Love that album.
2: Excellent, excellent. One of my. I loved it when it first came out, and it has just, like, grown on me. I I smile whenever a lot of the tracks from that album come on, and it is some of my favorite solo work, not just by Mickey, but by any of the monkeys. It's up there, really up there. Okay, and then coming in in third place, I'm excited about this one. Cersei Lincoln, Christian Nesmith. Oh, wow everybody here I hope listening knows Cersei and loves Cersei and it was just so insightful Uh, didn't you think it was really insightful hearing Cersei and Christian kind of talking about um not just their own careers but kind of you know their relationship with the monkeys now officially you know as as sometimes members of the backing band.
0: Absolutely uh, and Christian had a perspective that not many people have so
2: Yep, only I guess about let me count up in my head about a dozen, dozen people yeah. in the world have that perspective. <laughs> so, all
0: right, and number two.
2: Number two is oh, I'm excited about this. Our, your first episode on the new monkeys, your interview with Marty Ross.
0: Wow, who would have thought that? Who would have thought that the second most popular episode of Zilch, a monkeys podcast, would be about the new monkeys?
2: <laughs> yeah, I feel like going back to 10-year-old me and really saying, girl, you need to give these guys a chance. Just yeah. just pretend the name's not there. Because really, I rediscovered them, really discovered them, because of uh, the interview and the show. And uh, they've put out a really good uh, record. And you should try to track down their album if you can. I think it's available in uh, most of the usual spots. So I
0: love that album.
2: Yeah, and Marty just has such a philosophical take on the whole thing. So.
0: Absolutely. Yep. Well, without further ado, number one.
2: Number one, by a rather large margin, about 10 votes more than anything else uh, in the ranking, was Zilch, our two-part episode 17 and 18, Discussing Headquarters. Well,
0: there you go. Congratulations to us and our listeners for picking <laughs> That is number one. That's that's a really nice collection of episodes, and I'm, I'm proud of each one of those.
2: Yeah, and I will probably put up a screenshot of all of the episodes ranked, so folks can see where they were. They were There were some great episodes that were bubbled up just underneath the top five. More of the monkeys, some of the episode reviews, the holiday special, Ghosty Timmer's Monkey Spectacular, which those was incredible, Coco Dolan's, the whole list, uh, a is, is worth taking a look at because it's interesting to see what folks' favorites are.
0: Very good. Well, you ready to jump into the monkey's mailbag?
2: I'm always ready to jump into the monkey's mailbag.
0: And here we go. Box 9, 8,
2: 4,
0: this is not from our Facebook group or from iTunes, but this is from our Blogspot site where you can get the actual episodes. This is how they get to iTunes. His name is Tom DeRiso, the authentic monkey maniac. And there's just part of I'm going to read of this, but he says, amazing episode. And and of course, he's talking about our discussion on side one of Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, and Jones. He says, amazing episode, but I have to get this out. Love is Only Sleeping was grossly underrated. We also agree with that. A top ten monkey song hands down, along with Doors in the Summer. It has a typical monkeys solid guitar riff with a haunting undercurrent throughout and gorgeous lyrics failing to mention the verses are in 7-4 time and the choruses and the middle 8 changed to 4-4 time was a crime I'm not that big into music so I'm sorry about that <laughs> but glad that you pointed it out Tom Dorisio the sound effects are way ahead of their time, and Mike and Mickey's harmonies are beautiful. If it were not for the censors, it would have been a double-sided single smash hit, for sure, backed with Daydream Believer. The background vocal sounds you were all trying to figure out are Mickey, Davey, and Peter going, ah, ah, sha-la-la-la-la. So, uh, listen for that. (laughs) (laughs) You can also notice that by watching Peter's lips in the rainbow video which also should have been mentioned as one of the best videos for a song from a top five episode, that one being Everywhere a Chic Chic. So Tom, we want to thank you for writing in, letting us know what you think, and we are glad that you are listening. And, and we absolutely love that our fans are out there and listening and letting us know what they think about everything. So are you ready to get back to the round table with Jeff, Craig, and Chris?
2: I am ready to get back to the round table.
0: Before we do that, let's listen to this ad that we think that our fans and friends of Zilch will love.
3: Mickey Dolans of the Monkees here, getting ready to host the 2016 Flower Power Cruise, starring my good friends Felix Cavallari's Rascals, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, Herman's Hermit starring Peter
4: Noon, The Guess Who, Grassroots, Jefferson Starship, The Turtles, and Mark Lindsay from Paul Revere and the Raiders? We're taking the love generation to the high seas and reliving the 60s. We'll celebrate that unbelievable era with the music that made it so special. Imagine enjoying all that great music on the fabulous Celebrity Constellation, leaving from Fort Lauderdale and making ports of call in Cozumel and Key West. You'll be back in the days of long hair, peace signs, and so much more with special themed events and 30 fun-filled celebrity meet and greets. Cabins are filling up fast, so come on, relive the era you remember so well. The Flower Power Cruise, sailing February 29th, 2016. Hope to see you all there. Don't miss the boat. (laughs) Uh, Who writes this stuff?
0: For complete information on Monkey Fans discounts, contact Jody Ritson at www.monkeysconventions2016.com Well, Sarah, here's something we haven't done for a while. It's time to go back into our Monkeys Cover Corner. Today is a very cool Monkeys Cover, and it's by the band called The American Professionals, and it is of the song Love Is Only Sleeping. And here's something that's very cool. If you go to the website... The American Professionals, one word, the American Professionals.bandcamp.com, and do a search for Love Is Only Sleeping. You can get this track as a free internet MP3 download. All you have to do is join their mailing list. Without further ado, let's check out this very cool cover of Love Is Only Sleeping by The American Professionals off their album, The Specialist.
3: She looked at me And the emptiness in her eyes was cruel to see And she turned away and said Once I loved but now love is dead But wrap herself in sorrow Through the endless days and nights Waited for a shiny new tomorrow My sleeping Love is only.
0: Uh, harder guitar kind of sound. What did you think of that, Sarah?
2: I enjoyed it a great deal. Uh, You know, uh, uh, some of my first appearances on Zilch were part of the Cover Corners. Mm -hmm. Um, We've been uh, re-showing those lately as part of our Throwback Thursdays on the Facebook group. I really like this one. This is excellent. We need to uh, make sure that we include covers more often.
0: Agreed. Well, and now on with the discussion. Hello. (gasps) Hello. Here we are on side two of our discussion of Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, and Jones Limited. And we are back with the Zilch staff. We have Jeff Hewlett. Hello. Have a little more energy. Jeff Hewlett. (laughs) 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 What? What?
1: Don't tell me. Try, don't tell me how to be, Ken.
0: Oh, uh, no. I'm doing like the Shatner thing where the guy tries to direct him. How am I saying? Am I not saying that right for you? Please tell me what to, <laughs> I say. Sabotage. Sabotage. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All
1: right. All right. Intro me again. Okay. I'll be more energetic. All right,
0: Jeff Hewlett. Hey, Ken. How's it going? I'm <laughs> <laughs> trying to be energetic. What the hell? <laughs> that was
5: very good. I loved it. Let's do it again, though.
0: Okay. Jeff Hewlett. Hey, Ken. Thanks for having me back. Perfect. Right down the middle. Craig Cohen.
5: I can. You know, I always love uh, being here in the Monkeys, Zilch, HQ, monkeying around. Oh, there you go. And no, I've not been drinking.
0: Not yet. And <laughs> Sarah Clark. Hey, everybody. And returning, Chris Carum oh. to the Zilch show. You were on episode zero. Seems like so long ago, but you are back among us. How are you doing, sir? Well, and let me tell you, I'm just so gosh darn glad to be here, Ken. Excellent. All righty then.
6: Okay, pick a number to 1 and 10. Um, 14. All right.
0: Kicking off side 2, the song Hard to Believe, written by Davy Jones, Kim Capali, Eddie Brick, and Charlie Rocket.
6: It's hard to believe that you could ever doubt me. Jeff Hewlett, your
1: thoughts
0: on Hard to Believe?
1: I hope and I pray that we'll all be together someday. Okay. Mm. Actually, I really like this song. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of this. I, I, always, Whenever I hear this song, I always picture Davey on a Broadway stage uh, doing this as part of a, of a Broadway show. Uh, yeah, I, I I love the uh, the strings, the horns, the bass line, the arrangement is great. Um, it may not be the best Davy song, and this kind of has to serve as the, the Davy Jones trademark slow number on the record. It's the slowest Davy number we have uh, on Pisces. But, you know, I, I think that uh, it, it still, to me, is a good listen. It fits well in the running order, uh, especially if you're listening on a CD where you don't have to flip the record over. There's no break between them, so it goes right from uh, words into hard to believe so uh for for me this this is a a definite uh you know maybe three and a half star
5: ah craig cohen (laughs) actually just take everything that jeff hewlett just said there and reverse it (laughs) i'm not a fan of the song this is the the first stinker on the album in my opinion and it really sort of calls into question what role Chip Douglas was really playing as producer on this album because I don't know, for me it just doesn't fit with the rest of the album. The Broadway feel that Jeff mentioned seems really out of place here and it almost seems like, you know, the times where, you know, you know, Davey was doing his his, his showman thing um, are behind us. It's not to say that I don't like the arrangement, because I think the arrangement would, is good, and I, and I actually think if this were like a Burt Bacharach album, mm-hmm. um, it would mm-hmm. be a wonderful song. Um, but for me, it just doesn't, it doesn't hit. Interesting. Sarah Clark. Well, i wrote in my notes this is the moment where
2: i get to play jeff hewitt but it's actually the moment where i get to play craig cohen because this has always been a skipper for me i mean i don't know just insipid lounge music is not my thing even when it's done well i mean this is done well but it's still banal and insipid i'm sorry uh-huh. um, i think Davey does as good a job as you could with the material i think that the performers do It Well. Is this is this Davy's first song that he co-wrote for the Monkees
0: or no? Not sure. I'll have to look into it, that. It's
2: got to be an early one. It, it, it kind of has a written-by-committee feel. Yeah. Definitely. Well, and, a lot and, of and, the and people it's...
0: that wound up in the studio uh, are, like, for example, Kim Capelli. She played the Shaker, the claves, the Cowbell, so on and so forth.
2: She did the drums. Yeah, and and, did, yeah. I, I like the drum line on this
0: one. Yeah, but wait a second. Not only did she do the drums, she did guitar, drums, bass, percussion, piano, and in an emergency, she could probably move the piano. So, you know, she, that woman was busy on this song.
5: <laughs> Sarah, if you don't count uh, Band 6 or Zilch, this would be probably the first Davey Co-Write on, on, on a Monkeys album. Uh-huh.
2: okay that's what i was thinking that it was the first like song that 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 he had done and it it kind of presages some themes we're going to get in 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 some of his compositions in coming albums but yeah. uh yeah i mean it's it's i i, I realize it's its first time out but uh you know it's it's definitely the weak spot in this album
0: very good Yeah, definitely. This, to me, could come right off of Instant Replay with no problem. Mm -hmm. Chris, carry Okay, I'm going to
7: say something that will probably be quasi-controversial, but I'm going to draw an analogy between Hard to Believe and Within You, Without You from Sgt. Pepper. Both songs are the lead-off track on side two, and both songs, to me, stand out like a sore thumb from the rest of the material on those respective albums. Hmm. That having been said, I can't imagine the album without it if that makes any sense. I mean, it stands like a sore thumb, but yet it's so embedded in that that if we were taking off this album, I would miss it, even though it does stand out for, you know, the reasons that uh, Jeff, uh, you know, that everyone else has kind of pointed out.
0: Right. Um, well, I, in, could, I, in that same respect, if you were to take Within You and Without You off Sgt. Pepper, you would miss that, even if it's a song that you might skip occasionally.
7: Right. Well, I would never skip it. I mean, okay. I, I have respect for Sergeant Pepper,
0: okay, but good. to me,
7: it's just the one George Harrison sign that could, might have been better served on a solo record of some sort, mm. but mm-hmm. that, he didn't have that option back then, I guess. Um, I could imagine, I could picture Davey doing this on a Love Boat episode. He, he'd be on the Leto deck, and he'd be he'd be sidling up <laughs> yeah. to Linda Carter, and then he'd be sidling up to Christy McNichol, and then he'd be sidling up to, of course, Rosemary. But that's, that's the kind of song it is. It, I think of like him just being a cheesy singer on a boat, um, you know, doing that kind of thing, doing his little Davy Jones shuffle and just kind of going to and fro, and, and that's really all I have to say about it. But I, I kind of drew that analogy at one point way back about the, you know, Within You, Without You. It does stand out like a sore thumb. It's kind of a cheesy track, but it's part of it. And if you took it out, I'd miss it.
0: Very good. And here's Davy Jones doing Hard to Believe on the Monkees 45th anniversary tour from South Bend, Indiana, 2011. This song has some unusual distinctions. Chief among them is that this is the only song in the album not to be used in a Monkeys episode, which probably ticked Davey off on some level, because, you know, that's a huge chunk of money you might be missing out on. I know it would bother me. This was the last new composition to be recorded for this album. It is also the only track to feature a single monkey on it, and the only track that... Only features session musicians on instruments, so when you talk about standing out like a sore thumb, that might be the hmm. uh, reason for the sore thumbiness of it, which I think is an actual word. I I'm, can This was recorded at RCA Victor Studios in Hollywood, August 23, 1967. And now, one of my favorite songs. I'm going to take lead on this one. What am I doing hanging around?
8: What am I doing hanging around? I should be on that train and gone. I should be riding on that train to San Antonio. What am I doing hanging
0: wrong? This is written under the pseudonym Travis Lewis and Boomer Clark, but actually it is the work of Michael Martin Murphy and Owens Casplin. Does anybody know who Michael Martin Murphy is?
2: He wrote something else, and it's not coming to me right now.
0: He was a big poet in the San Francisco scene, wasn't he? Yeah. Well, he also went on to be a pretty good country writer and songs from the 70s. She'll be riding wildfire, anyone? And if forever doesn't last, then what's forever for? There was another big song. He had a pretty good run of singles there. If you're into country country rock, if you will, then you probably know some of his stuff. But that song Wildfire was unavoidable in the 70s. So definitely a very cool song. But this song, What Am I Doing Hanging Around, is one of my favorites. I love, love, love this song. Um it's got everything I love in a Mike Nesmith kind of song uh, even though he didn't write it, it it's weird because you were mentioning earlier that we're getting a lot of songs that Mike didn't actually write on this album, right guys? Yeah. So this is another one of those we have backing vocals by Mickey, Davy, and Chip and it's strange you can't get all of them in the studio at one time and it's uh, this must be one of those you know you're mentioning about what Chip Douglas actually did. It seems like there was the, the different camps forming in the band, if you will. And it seemed mm-hmm. like Peter Tork does not seem to work on a lot of Mike Nesmith songs. I don't know if you guys are picking up on that or not.
5: Yeah, which is weird though, because on the, the earlier uh, albums, the, the sessions that Mike was allowed to produce, he was utilizing Pete, wasn't he?
0: Yes. So it's kind of strange and we've got Douglas Dillard on the electric banjo, Which, Pete could have done this quite easily, so it's kind of bizarre that uh, this did not happen. The release mix features group vocals, but an early mix featured only a double-track vocal by Nesmith. Used in the episode, it's a nice place to visit. Monkeys Marooned and Monkeys Race Again. It's one of my favorite videos that the guys did for the show. And if you notice, it looks like someone's making fun of Mike or trying to get him to laugh off-camera. But at some point, he actually, I think, sticks his tongue out at somebody or does something weird, makes some sort of weird face. Take a look for that the next time you're watching this. Jeff Hewlett, your thoughts on what am I doing hanging around?
1: This is another one of those songs. And actually, this this probably is the the prime example of a song that I absolutely hated as a kid, but grew to really love when I got a little bit older. And I can't remember why I really didn't like this song when I was younger, um, but it was one that I always skipped, but as I grew up and it grew into adult, and this is one of the songs that I would never, ever skip when listening to this album. So uh, I, I wish I could give a little more insight or travel back and talk to my uh, my younger self and find out why I didn't like this, but I remember not liking it. You know, uh, fantastic. For, for a song that wasn't written by Mike, it sure sounds like a song that was written by Mike. It and if does. you... Uh, if you dive into the archives and and search out a song uh, called if i ever get to saginaw again mm-hmm. it, it's kind of a similar feel a similar vibe a similar mm-hmm. topic so you know mike is uh, he's he's traveling to a foreign land or a land far away meets a girl uh, falls in love and then has to leave again and reminisces about going back and and being with that that girl again and uh you know this this is another one of those songs that that could be mistaken for a like a Mike country number a poppier number but it's really a serious a serious topic and it's a kind of kind of an emotional thing you know for 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 guys uh, like i'm sure all of us have uh, have had a a feeling of regret for leaving somebody behind or uh you know feeling like we we missed out on something and uh-huh. you know this song is very a good cause for reflection and uh, probably one of the
0: highlights of this record for me and ladies beware of loudmouth yankees that's all i can say uh... sarah clark
2: well it's interesting sort of look listening to this right after hard to believe because it's kind of thematically the inverse um... you know and hard to believe you know davy's trying to convince this girl to come back and not to believe all the stories that are said about him but in this one the song's protagonist fully, fully admits he was an idiot which you know gotta like that in a song Eddie Ho's drums I'm a broken record about Eddie Ho just because he's one of my early influences during my very brief time as a percussionist but his drums really add some oomph that kind of take this just kicks up the rock side of the country rock uh, nature of this track up a notch. And I did want to mention about Michael Martin Murphy. He actually was in a band with uh, Michael Nesmith before mm-hmm. The Monkees. It was called the uh, Trinity River Boys. Uh, John London and John Raines were also in the group. Uh, it was in 64. And my guess is that is basically how he got his uh, break riding for The Monkees.
5: There you go. Craig Cohen. Yeah, there's not much more I can add to what's said, except I can further sort of celebrate how great Michael's vocals are and just how he's able to connect with the song and the lyrics and and the overall feel of the song. I mean, it seems like he's having a lot of fun, which is always great to hear when you listen to music. If it seems like the person performing or singing the song is having fun, it makes you feel good and and want to have a good time and have fun so this is another another great song on a, on a really solid album so far and i gotta tell you ken when i listen to this track i make believe it's peter twerk on that electric banjo
0: and i would like to say if you are a loud yankee don't get in the habit of lightly taking advantage of people i'm just putting that out there so chris Carum, your thoughts on what am i doing hanging around I first heard this song on
7: the Then and Now um, collection in 1986, and I loved it from the start. Again, it's another stellar Nesmith country track, even if he didn't write it. The emotion in the vocal is just, you know, mind-blowing. It's just, you can really feel it, especially on the line on a train I could not miss. I mean, Mm -hmm. he's really just, you know, he sells that song just with that line alone. Um, But yeah, great song, and, uh, and it was unusual, because if I had heard that song, maybe ten years ago, I probably wouldn't have liked it, but by 1986 I had sort of moved not past heavy metal, but to the point where I was kind of more open to different kinds of music, and that song might not have resonated with me five years earlier, but in 1986 it it really hit the mark for me. Uh Excellent song.
0: Agreed. Love this track. Love it, love it, love it. Mike, for not writing it, he certainly does inhabit it, so it's excellent. And here's the monkeys doing What Am I Doing? hanging around with Michael Nesmith live at the Greek Theater in Los Angeles, California, 2012, November 10th. Just a the down go. I didn't have much time to spend about.
3: Yeah.
8: Cheers. Sure.
0: the most epic song on any album ever of of all time. Peter Percival Patterson's pet pig Porky.
8: Peter Percival Patterson had a pet pig named Porky.
0: Chris Karam, please take lead. Well, it's a zilch-like comedy track and I must say that Peter's
7: alliteration is spot on. That's all I got.
5: (laughs) Great going. This is another miss for me in the sense that they haven't established the comedy aspect of this album um, until this point, really. I mean, Cuddly Toy, you can sort of see as you know, having comedy elements to it. But this is just a little too out there this late in the game for me. And I, I don't know. It, it, it just seems... It just seems like a really unfortunate choice to, to put it where it does, even though it does lead into the next song so well. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of torn there. Agreed. Sarah Clark.
2: Oh, it's just the quirky Peter thing that we have to have on every album, which is awesome. Um, I spent an embarrassing amount of time trying to learn how to pop my peas like that when I was a kid. Do uh, it. Never, I can't. Never managed it. My husband can, though.
0: That's me doing that. Okay. Percival yeah. Patterson Pig Porky. Anyway. I'm...
2: That's why he's the Podfather, folks.
0: The Podfather. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. <laughs> and here's Peter Tork doing Peter Percival Patterson's pet pig porky live in Japan
1: 1968. Well it sure is a pleasure to be here in Japan.
7: Peter Curso Patterson had a pepe named Porky.
8: This pepe named Porky loved pie. Uh, he loved pizza pie, pumpkin pie, minced
3: I
7: Percival breakfast. I have a lunch.
1: I in the afternoon. I have a dinner. I, a dinner. I a before he went to the. Patterson's pig Porky it's so much pie that do you know what he did? He, uh,
0: Jeff Hewlett, per- your thoughts on Peter Percival Patterson's pet pig Porky?
1: You know, for a comedy track, to me this is the most depressing track on the oh, entire album. Oh. And you know why? You want to know why it's the most depressing track on the entire album? Why? Anybody want to know? Why? Yes. I'll tell you why. Because even the Beatles found a place for Ringo uh-huh. on every single record, right? Yep. They couldn't give Peter a freaking song on the record, for God's sake. I mean, the poor guy, he was a talented musician. Very talented. I mean, talented. his voice wasn't the greatest in the world, but they could have found the way to fit him into the album without some novelty nonsense. And... I do enjoy it. It's a great lead into the next song. But when I think about the Monkees holistically as a band, I think just Peter just gets the short end of the stick. And was it and, and I understand it's cuz his voice wasn't as marketable, but you know what? Give him a track. You have 13 tracks on this record. This one more than the standard British LP. You could have given him something of substance uh, to to at least uh, ma- make a mark on the record and, and instead of just some kind of
0: novelty toss away track. I agree 100%. Mm-hmm. Even if they had him sit down and just play some little folky thing with the guitar and sing, you know, what's what's two minutes going to hurt? Then they could have done this to keep the comedy, oh, look, it's a zany monkeys type of thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, he had a lot of ideas back in the day. I mean, there's things that, that he recorded that never made it onto any record. They could have taken any of those tracks and tossed it in. Yeah, Third I the agree. The
3: top off of my head could have worked on this thing, for heaven's
1: sakes. Totally. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And now I'm going to say that this is probably my favorite song on the album Pleasant Valley Sunday.
8: Another Pleasant Valley Sunday. Sunday.
0: Hewlett, your thoughts on Pleasant Valley Sunday.
1: This is the quintessential Monkees track uh, following Clarksville, right? I mean, if you look at the entire catalog, I think I would put this right up there as one of the most recognizable and iconic Monkees tracks, uh, you know, right next, to, right next to Last Train in Clarksville. And I, I don't know uh, how much we can even really talk about this because I don't think there's much of a debate. And I would be very, very surprised if anybody on this panel had anything bad to say about this song whatsoever and i mean again very mature subject matter uh-huh. when you look at it i mean the 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 social commentary contained in this this track is so pointed and so visceral it's incredible to think that this was a pop song you know that the the fact that they they're really talking about the you know the rat race of life and and keeping up with the joneses uh, pun sort of kind of intended and, and the way that we all get lost in, in life and, and the race for cash and the race for possession. Uh, it, it's just amazing to me that this came off as such a great pop track. And uh, I think it just stands out amongst the catalog. Agreed. Craig Cohen.
5: Yeah, I, I think, you know, Jeff really, really explained it, uh, you know, uh, in, in about the most clear-cut way you could. This song, not to put down the rest of the album, but it, it's it's light years beyond in my opinion and it really just goes to show what an incredible songwriting team jerry goffin and carol king were i mean just a massive massive song perfectly executed um we get that mickey Dolan's vocal we've been looking for really the whole album and uh yeah i can't say enough about this this is one of those songs that even people that don't know the monkeys know Agreed. Sarah Clark?
2: For me, this is the quintessential monkey song. This is like them, all of them at the peak of their powers doing the things that they do best. We've got Mickey on vocals. We've got Peter's keyboards. My gosh, once again, they make this song. Eddie Ho, once again, phenomenal on, on, on drumming. And... The themes of this song, they they maybe aren't the highest of stakes. It's it's sort of like you know a young adult complaining about the angst of living in suburbia, but it's still it's it's giving you know a young teenager a vocabulary to start thinking about transcending the life they see around them and seeing that there can be more in life than what they're looking for. I mean, in my teens, I probably this for a good better part of a decade this was probably the only monkeys song that like played regularly in my mixtapes and playlists and stuff because it just it stands the test of time and it's a great song even if you're not a monkeys person
0: Mm Mm-hmm. song was released as a single before the album on july 10th 1967 which reached number three on the pop charts chris karam your thoughts on pleasant valley sunday well growing up i actually
7: lived near pleasant valley uh-huh.
0: It, and Methuen Mass was
7: actually known as Pleasant Valley, so I had many Pleasant Valley Sundays growing up. And, you know, the song, I can even remember, I think I even remember driving through Pleasant Valley, and that song came on, you know, talk about synchronicity or kismet, whatever kismet is, I have no idea what that is. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a great classic song, I mean, this is it's one of the great pop songs of all time, and certainly, you know, one of the great monkey songs. And as I got older, I really appreciated the fact that this was really a dig or a, a satire of middle America, you know, 60s middle America. And, you know, when you when you listen to it as a kid, you're just like Pleasant Valley Sunday and you're just singing along happily, but you get older, you rediscover the monkeys, and you go, wow, this is really kind of, you know, not edgy, but edgy kind of, because pop songs, even then, a lot of them were so fluffy and, you know, not a lot of substance, but this has a great melody, and it kind of just the satire or the um, the underpinnings of it are just kind of in there, and they become more apparent with age. You know, great song, and Carol King. What you know, what can you say about that? And I just love that almost intolerable din of sound that builds up at the end. Mm-hmm. It's not a very conventional way to end a '60s pop song, but it just it fits for some reason. And you know, it's Pleasant Valley Sunday. What you know, what else can anyone say about it, really?
0: I love it. And here's the monkeys doing Pleasant Valley Sunday with Michael Nesmith, Mickey Dolans, and Peter Tork at the Beacon Theater, 2012, December 2nd, New York City. In a few years, later. Okay. You know, in an alternate universe, Michael Nesmith became a salad dressing king, and, and he has a uh, <laughs> Pleasant Valley Sunday uh, flavor based on this song. You Or he well, opened an ice cream chain for Pleasant, Pleasant Valley, Valley Ranch. Pleasant ah. Valley Ranch Sundays. Oh, oh, oh so cream. you're thinking an ice cream flavor. Yeah, I don't,
7: salad, uh, no, ice cream,
0: yes. All right.
7: Pleasant Valley
0: Sundays. Ben and Jerry's, you need to make Pleasant Valley Sunday a uh, Michael Nesmith-approved ice cream. There yeah, you go. Yeah, would
2: go on a Pleasant Valley Sunday. I'm gonna have to think about something this now.
0: with cherries.
2: Oh, uh, yeah.
0: That would take you far away. Anyway, um, it would have to be creature comfort food. Yes. Yeah. TVs. Yeah. Well, you can't the chew a grass TV. clippings from the mowing. <laughs> you can't. You can't. You can't eat that, man. Mulch. You, can't, you know, you can't put that in the ice cream. Um,
2: <laughs> okay, we've gone off the rails. Great, really? I like that.
0: I remember when uh, MTV was airing the shows for the first time in the 80s, and every so often they would have a few extra moments, and they would sometimes play a monkey's video, and nine times out of ten it was usually the clip of Pleasant Valley Sunday or Daydream Believer kind of burned it into everybody's retinas again and that was very cool I think it's the one song that seems to get a lot of respect from guys that don't get the monkeys this is one of the songs that they can dig it's a very day tripper-esque or paperback writer type kind of riff that Chip Douglas came up with and taught Mike Nesmith one weird distinction is that Mickey Dolenz is the only member of the monkeys not to contribute to this track instrumentally We have Mickey on lead. On backing, we got Davey and Michael Nesmith. Electric guitar, Michael Nesmith. Acoustic guitar, Bill Chadwick. Bass, Chip Douglas. Drums, Eddie Ho. Percussion, Davey Jones. And piano, Peter Tork. So that's interesting. This was first used in the summer of 1967 rebroadcast of the episodes Case of the Missing Monkey. Yay! Yay! And Captain Crocodile. Then in the second season episodes, The Picture Frame and Monkey Mare. Yeah, this is this to me this thing just takes off like a firecracker and it doesn't stop till the end. It's just absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. My favorite track. Our next song daily nightly. <laughs> And now we're going to talk about a song that Michael Nesmith wrote, but didn't sing daily nightly with lead vocal by Mickey Dolenz and a great song that it is Jeff Hewlett, your thoughts. Oh, it's
1: the opposite day. One of those songs that uh, this is the opposite of uh, what am I doing I'm hanging around? This is a song that I really liked as a kid and I've kind of grown not to like it as much as really? I got a little bit older. A little too spacey for me uh, the lyrics are great i i love nesmith's songwriting here uh, mickey's vocals are great i just i i'm just not as fond of the sound anymore uh, of this track i i think this could have been one of those um actually there's an alternate mix that's included on the deluxe version that i like a little bit better it tones down the spaciness uh, a little bit but this could have been one of those cool ones that if nesmith had done this in sort of an acoustic version i, I think it would have maybe come off a little bit better for me Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Chris Karam.
7: I love this this song, and I love it for the fact that it's spacey. Um, very kind of ethereal, I don't know if that's the right word. This was mm-hmm. either the first song or one of the first songs to feature a uh, Moog or Moog synthesizer. Um, and I believe Mickey had one of the first two or three, uh, mm-hmm. if I, if my memory
0: shows me correctly. Well, yeah. I, I have some info of that. Okay. The album was the earliest to make use of the Moog synthesizer, which Dolans introduced to the group and played in the studio. He owned one of the first 20 ever sold. Along with the Doors' September 1967 album Strange Days and Simon and & Garfunkel's bookends the following year, Pisces was one of the first commercial recordings featuring the Moog to reach a wide audience. Dolans plays the synthesizer on Daily Nightly and Love Is Only Sleeping as seen in Season 2, while electronic musician Paul Beaver plays the Moog on Star Collector. Yeah. So there we go. Yeah.
7: And, you know, the funny thing is, the intro to this song, I've been hearing it an awful lot over the last year or so for some reason. Mm-hmm.
0: For some I just reason. just hear
7: it repeatedly, like at least once or twice a month on this show or something. And But, you know, no. and But, of course, um, you guys, Zilch uses the non-synth, version, which I, which I like. I think it's kind of cool that you guys use the alternate version. But I do like the synth, the synthesizer and the whoops and the beeps and whoops because, you know, this was before they could make synthesizers more musical and more melodic, but I don't know, it, it adds to the spaciness and I like it for that reason. Uh, again, some great uh, Michael Nesmith lyrical imagery, and I love the video version that they did on the show. To me it just suits the song to a T. It's like the perfect visualization of this track. Uh, needless to say, I love it. It's a great song, and it's the highlight of the album for me. Hmm. Uh-huh.
5: Craig Cohen, this is another one where it's it's amazing that we have all this. It's like a weird alternate universe where we have a, a Mike song sung by by Mickey that's got you know a psychedelic feel to it. It's just one of those things where I'm like, am I still in the right universe? <laughs> <laughs> I I, I kind of dig the psych, psychedelic feel of the song. It's, it's really cool to see Mike Nesmith playing around in that sandbox, if you will. But I think the synth work is just too, too out there for me. It almost seems too much like, hey, look at this new toy. I'm going to play with it in the studio. Mm-hmm. Sarah Clark. I'm
2: listening to... All of the albums in chronological order, along with Zilch, as we've been going through this, it occurs to me that "Daily Nightly" this song is the birth of Papa Nez. He's in his stuff he's done before this. He's been wisty, you know, witty, wistful, profound, and I mean, there were like glimmers of of his ability to go way out there, you know, like in Jeff's favorite track from Headquarters, "Sunny Girlfriend." Mm-hmm. But this is the first song where he just like goes full on metaphorical free association. I mean, it's just a word painting more than anything. And I think Mickey's Moog works uh, uh, works for it. I think it builds it beautifully. Now, of course, it's way too self-important in emo. And you can tell it's written by a 24-year-old that, you know, is just teetering on the edge between being profound and being self-parody. But... Mickey sells it, and he makes it work. And, you know, I think it's, uh, while Nez made fun of it in the 2012 and 2013 tours for a reason, um, it's still just, for what it is, it's a great song.
0: Mm-hmm. And this is the monkeys performing Daily Nightly with Michael Nesmith on the voice moog, if you will, from the Greek Theater in Los Angeles, November 10th. Two thousand
7: twelve. I think that may be Bobby Sherman's.
3: <laughs> so we couldn't get a real moat because they're very expensive. And, and they're the
7: rare And they're rare and they're the size of a Buick and they cost a billion dollars. And
3: they come with the dead house plants. <laughs> so Mike has promised me he's got the moat thing covered, so oh, here we go. God, got you got it, covered. buddy. Okay. Daily night.
0: Had it not have that over usage of the mug, perhaps uh, it 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 may have aged better. Personally, I love it, no matter what it sounds like. It it it's fantastic, but I think that it would have been. Uh, it almost affects the enjoyment of the song for some people, I believe. Like I've I've heard people say that they can't take it seriously because of that, which may sound strange, but you know, all art is subjective. Speaking of art being subjective. Michael Nesmith claims that the inspiration for this song stemmed from the infamous Sunset Strip riots and the misinformation that the media reported about the event. The event was first discussed by the boys in the epilogue interview segment of the episode Find the
4: Monkeys. There's been a lot of talk about the riots that have been going on in Sunset Strip. There was a riot. You know, there was a lot of vandalism.
3: There haven't really been riots. They've been, in actuality, since I, since I was there, they've been demonstrations. And... Uh, But I guess a lot of people and journalists don't know how to spell demonstration, so they they use the word riot because it only has four letters.
4: First, tell me a little bit, quickly, what are the demonstrations and who's taking place
3: in them? Well, it's mostly the kids
6: um, that are uh, from the ages of around 15 to, I'd say, 20 or 21. Uh, Under 18, it's a California law that uh, you're not able to go into a teenage nightclub uh, that sells... Uh, alcoholic beverage. There's a 10 o'clock curfew imposed on these young people that uh, uh, regardless of whether it's uh, a good thing or a bad thing, uh, they still don't like it. I think it probably has a lot to do with the fact that uh, uh, of somebody telling them they have to be in by 10 o'clock. That's sort of the same thing as saying that they have to cut their hair. You know, I mean it's it's against the law to tell somebody they can do that. Would you like to see all the
4: kids in the country wearing hair like yours?
6: I would like to see all the kids in the country wearing the hair like this. Like to wear it.
4: How do you feel,
3: So, Maggie,
4: how do you feel about this? Exactly. exactly. I'm with you. I'm
3: with you. When it first happened, there was a few comments made. One by the the sheriff of Los Angeles, he said that the curfew should be abolished. He says take the babysitting job out of the hands of the police, put it in the hands of the parents. If the parents think their kids can be out after ten, they should be out.
4: Most everybody that was there says that the vandalism was caused by. Kids they're very late, like 18, 19, 20, and 21, like that age kid. The only people representing the kids are the kids themselves. No, nobody listens to kids there. talking for kids because kids are only kids, you know? And they go through this vicious cycle. Authority does. I'm being very general because I don't want to, like, call names or anything.
3: The reason I haven't spoken all this time is because that it doesn't matter what I say, nobody will listen to me because I'm under 21. <laughs> so I'm just keeping my mouth shut.
0: This song was used in the episode's fairy tale and monkeys blow their mind. Now, it has been mentioned by some that this song is not about what Michael claims it's about. Some claims that it's about visiting a prostitute. Does anybody uh, have any thoughts along those lines? Really? No. Dark and rolling figures move through prisms of no color is about Mm -hmm. a prostitute? Hand in hand, they walk the night, but they never know each other. Yeah, no, don't think no. so. You don't. You don't no. walk
1: through the night with a prostitute hand in hand, right? Yeah. You don't. You oh, don't no, move just... with her. You, you you stay in the same room. You don't walk. Yeah,
7: if they're out in Los Angeles. I mean, any, anything can happen
1: out there.
0: Jeff knows quite a lot about. Uh... Anyway, um, hey, <laughs> <no. coughs> <laughs> and... <laughs> rather than I'm a bullet hope hope stroll, <laughs> startled eyes that sometimes see phantasmagoric splendor pirouette down palsied paths with pennies for the vendor. Boy, it was really you can see where um, tapioca tundra lyrics came from salvation's yours for just the time it takes to pay the dancer and once again such anxious men find questions but no answer the night is gone and taken its infractions while saddened eyes hope there will be a next one so it's been thrown out there that that's what it's about whatever the song means to you let us know on the facebook page but no love for that theory here huh
2: no. I actually have been learning a bit about the Sunset Strip uh, riots. I've mm-hmm. been uh, following a really good podcast I want to men- uh, mention to people who are interested in pop culture history. It's called You Must Remember This. Mm. And they've been doing like a mini series on Charles Manson's Hollywood, oh, like my. the Hollywood of Laurel Canyon in the late 60s. And. The monkeys have never come up specifically in it, though some of their peripheral players have. But there is a segment that talks about the Sunset Strip riots, and really learning more about kind of the history and the background of that uh, made me see those events sort of in a different light than I had before. So check that podcast out; it's really good.
0: And we'll put links in our show notes. Sound good? Sounds good. Okay, but it's an excellent track. It may be dated, but I love it. It's and I love Mickey saying this at the end of the video Our next track Don't Call on Me written by Michael Nesmith and John London Karen, your thoughts on Don't Call On Me.
7: When I first heard the song I actually couldn't figure out who was singing it because it's a very different vocal style from Mike. Uh, very soulful. You know, there's just it's a it's unlike anything I'd ever heard from him on the previous albums or on this album even. I love the fact that the beginning, the little aural thing the little aural collage, it evokes to me like a cocktail party at some very chic hotel in, you know, Los Angeles or Hollywood. And I can just picture the monkeys, you know, with hanging out with whoever was hip at that time. And then, you know, you just go into the mic mic doing the song. And I don't know if there's any connection between setting up that kind of imagery with the intro to the song, but it works for me and it's just it's a it's a really good song. It's like I said, it's different than Nesmith. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why I love it so much. And it you know, it might kinda of stick out in some ways, but to me it just fits. It's a nice bridge between the last
0: song and the final song. Mhm. Craig Cohen, your thoughts?
5: This is another one of those cases where I think the comedy doesn't really serve the album well. In my opinion, we've got this really, really nice, sort of jazzy, laid-back tune by by Mike, but then, you know, Mickey's sort of cheesy introduction, for me, it almost cheapens the song and and, and points out, you know, why we shouldn't like it. Um, and I think it's a beautiful song, and, and I think it's really different and unexpected, especially coming from Mike.
0: And yes, it is a bit bizarre at times, but the personnel on this uh, song is lead vocals by Michael Nesmith. Spoken words, Davy Jones and Michael Nesmith. Electric guitar, Mike Nesmith. Acoustic guitar, Chip Douglas. Bass, Chip Douglas. Drums and clavs by Eddie Ho. And on piano, Robert Rafelson and Peter Tork on organ. So this is, uh, I think, the first time we've heard... (laughs) Bob or Bert or Steve or anybody from the Mighty Trinity show up on on the Monkeys album proper. This was recorded during two Hollywood sessions, but not from the elegant pump room of the magnificent Palmer House high over Chicago. Because that would be impossible, the Pump Room Restaurant and the Palmer House Hotel are two separate businesses located in two different areas of Chicago. The song begins with the sounds of a live audience in a lounge, with dialogue between the boys working into a jazzy, slow tune. Now, Chris, you said that Hard to Believe sounded out of place. I almost get that same feeling from this song. By the time I get to this part of the album, I almost have to stop and say, well, which album am I listening to sometimes? I don't know why, it just... Does that way for me, Jeff Hewlett. Your thoughts on "Don't Call Me"? Now, th- this is
1: another one of those songs that uh, I have a, a, a deep personal affection for, and the reason why. And, and forgive me for these flights of, of uh, youthful fancy that I've come across in these episodes. But you know, as a, as a child, I I, uh, I I grew up with a with a single mom who worked very very hard to keep a roof over our heads, and and every now and then, my my grandparents would dress me up in a little suit and tie and take me out to a fancy restaurant. And I'll tell you, this track reminds me of being there. I mean, the, the conversations that you would hear sound just like the conversations in the intro and the outro uh-huh. uh, to this track. And the the, the way that the song is, is orchestrated, it really fits the kind of live music that you would have heard uh, in, in a restaurant of those, of those types. And, and not only that, but I, I, this... Song has a very Sgt. Pepper'sy feel to me. Not necessarily that it would have fit on the album Sgt. Pepper, but it's the monkeys pretending they're not the monkeys. Yes, it's it's the monkeys being a different band and playing in a different style uh, that you didn't expect or haven't heard before. And you know the song is kind of hauntingly pretty. Uh, I I I love the way Nesmith sings this. This isn't this is a, a type of a vocal that he hasn't done before, and he doesn't seem to ever really do again. So this is a kind of a special track to me for a lot of different reasons, and I know that, that the rest of you guys seem to think this doesn't really fit in necessarily with the album, but th- this is a higher point for me for mm-hmm. a couple of reasons.
5: No, Jeff, I would totally uh, agree with you in terms of um, th- this working on the album, but I, I mean, would you agree that, it, that the intro kind of cheapens it? Not at all.
1: Really? Not at all. I, I love it. I, I think uh, it, it, it it if you think this intro cheapens it, does does the the spoken word intro to Sergeant Pepper cheapen Sergeant Pepper? I don't think so.
0: Take that one, Craig Cohen. <laughs> <laughs> Zing.
5: You just got Hewlett-ed. <laughs> Goodness, man. I, yeah, insert the graphic of Ali standing over me. <laughs> Craig, is down for the count. Look like a butterfly, sting like a Hewlett. (laughs) No, actually, wait, though, Jeff. There is a huge difference, though, because at least in the case of Sgt. Peppers, they were introducing the album with that. So they were setting up what the album was going to be at the beginning, whereas here we're getting it at the end, which Mm. for me to to, to frame the band that way, I'm not sure. I think I just stumbled to my feet. We're at an eight count. The Monkees has never been high concept. Mm -hmm. They're a, a pop group that were you
1: know they were they were made for tv i mean this was a one attempt they never really did a, a concept album proper i mean i guess you could call head a concept album but it, right. in name only but uh, you know this was just kind of a nod to uh, you know a different style a different uh, a different take so i mean to do one track in a style of another band i think suffices just fine i mean they weren't they, they didn't have the weight of the Beatles. I mean, the Beatles kind of just... They, they took a whole concept and ran with it, but uh,
0: in in my mind, I think it equates just fine. Well, you jumped up with that defense, Craig, with a DX-like pose, and it was in <laughs> your face right back, you know, so... <laughs> well, before this turns into fisticuffs, let's throw it back to the studio to the lovely Sarah Clark. Your thoughts on Don't Call On Me? Well, I'm going to be backing
2: up Jeff Fulett on this. Um... <gasps> don't call on me yeah yeah i'm with you on this song don't call on me is like what hard to believe was trying to be um but it actually gets there um i think it works because it is just flat out sending up the lounge music form it's just this sardonic breakup song, but it's delivered in the smooth tones of a disposable lounge singer. Mm. Peter is killing it on the organ again. I know I keep saying that on every sync and track. Is Bob Braffelson's bit on the intro his only appearance on a Monkees album? Well, I, I know he has some spoken bits here and there on Ed, but like right. instrumentally. I, mean, I, believe gotta so. be. I believe so.
0: I believe so. By the way, Sarah, you get bonus points for the use of Sardonic twice during this roundtable. On the last episode, on side one, and on this. So the continuity continues. What does this have to do with Fish? Absolutely nothing. You know, going off of what you said, Jeff, about this track, the reason that I feel that it doesn't really fit is because a lot of these songs seem so bouncy at times, whereas this one is really, like, uh, low down. I almost wish that they would have swapped this for the next track, Star Collector, as far as the album, but I don't want to mess up the album or anything, but this, to me, would seem like a way to land. And really, it almost reminds me of, like, on Headquarters, where there was early morning blues and greens. This song almost holds that same kind of place, in a sense, where... It's a more adult song, whereas early morning blues and greens was as well, and it was you know hard for little kids I think to understand this at the time, you know if they were aiming any of this at teenagers this this song is a little bit above that, wouldn't you say
1: yeah, but you know i I think that if, if you look back at all of the monkeys albums and you understand. Uh, you know, how how these albums were all put together and the the sheer number of tracks that were recorded and, and cobbled together and the ones that never got released. And so on. every Monkey's album is really a, it's just a collection of songs. There's not really a lot of thought put into, you know, what songs go into what albums on what order. It, they're always just kind of a collection of songs. So, right. you know, I, I don't know if you can really narrow down a song and say, well, this doesn't fit on this album and this doesn't fit on this album because they're really all just... Uh, I I don't think that they sat down and said here's 12 songs that fit together Right. it's just they're all like greatest hits albums almost right Uh I mean I'm not sure if I can approach it the same way
2: there's actually a original track lineup for Pisces that was not done on the final it was compiled on October 9th and there Don't Call On Me is the second to last song on side one between words and going down wow just throwing oh. that out there.
1: Going Down deserved to be on an album and yes. not forgotten on the flip side of a single. It's one of the best Monkey songs, one of the best Mickey vocal performances of all time.
0: Agreed. And it, it should have closed this album out, if you ask me. But that's, again, I'm not Don Kirshner, nor am I Lester Sills, nor am I any of those people. So make your own mix of this album, if you want, and let us know what you, what you came up with. And here's Michael Nesmith under the name Michael Blessing from
6: 1965. Don't call on me when you're feeling put loose and fancy free.
0: Last track proper on Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, and Jones Limited is Star Collector. Jeff, what do you have to say about Star Collector? Mm.
1: Not not a not a huge fan. Of this track, it's a little too stylized, a little too out there for me. Um, I, I like the the the, um, the the message. I like the story. Uh, you know, I, I think the you know commentary on groupies and uh, you know the, the the moral ambiguity of of groupies is great. I, I like what they were going for. I, I just think that it doesn't stand the test of time as well. It's it's a little too synthesized, uh, a little too out there. I do respect uh, the attempt to break a mold for Davy. This is a very different type of Davy song uh, than we've heard uh, prior to this. Uh, and I, I, I do like the fact that Davey branched out a bit here. If they'd have toned this down a little bit and gone with a little more uh, standard or more acoustic arrangement without the synthesized stuff, I think it might have stood the test of time a little bit better. Mm-hmm.
0: So again, another victim of its musicality, if you will. Yes, definitely, absolutely. Okay. Craig Cohen,
5: your thoughts on Star Collector? Love it. Goffin and King deliver again. The only thing I think that really doesn't work in this song is that extended outro with just all of that synth nonsense. Um, again, where's a producer coming in and saying, hey guys, um, this isn't how we should be ending an album. But the chorus absolutely slays. And Davy's vocal is. This is the Davy Jones that I love hearing. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Chris
7: Carim, I really love this song. It's you know, again, it, it does kind of border on overuse of this of the uh, the synth effects, the beeps, the boops, and the whoops. But on the other hand, it's what makes the song um, what it is. And I agree with what Jeff said. Davy's kind of going out of his maybe not comfort zone, but he's doing something different, and that's what also makes it very interesting. And I wonder how many young girls, you know, tweens and early, you know, young teenage girls were singing along with this and really having no concept of what they were singing along with, you know, when it first came out. Um, At
2: least one.
7: Yeah. Okay. You know, just happily singing along to this ode to, um, you know, groupies and celebrity stalkers. And I have to wonder: is this the first um, pop song or rock pop song? To, to be directly about that, or... I, I, I tried to think of maybe something else from that time period that might have been along the same lines and I couldn't come up with anything. Maybe Cuddly Toy kind of is along those lines, but this strikes me as being the first really overt ode to groupies. And, and even for that alone, you know, there's a sort of, um, I don't know if it's innovation, but it certainly paved the way for you know many other songs that would come out down the line. It's a great way to end the album, and some of it is excessive and a little over the top and kind of borders on being a little, I don't don't know if annoying is the right word, but it's still great, and it's a great way to close out a great album.
0: Mm -hmm. Of course, we all know that Star Collector was written by Goffin and King. Sarah Clark, your thoughts on Star Collector?
7: Uh,
2: for me, this is tied with "Cuddly Toy" for my favorite Davey song on the album. I do have to confess, as I mentioned, it took a few playthroughs for me before I figured out that it was he was singing about groupies. Um, but I, I love this song. I enjoy it. I, I'm a sucker for all of the monkeys' kind of like sweet tart songs where they maybe sing about you know darker or more complex themes, but in a really upbeat way. And this uh-huh. is kind of a, a good example of that. I'm not actually a fan of the Moog work on this song. I think if you're going to play a Moog, you might as well just go, you know, all out Psycho Jello. Daily mm-hmm. Nightly style, but you know it works for what it is. Though I think it, in a weird way, it almost sounds more dated on Star Collector than it does on uh, Daily Nightly. Mm-hmm. That may just be me. Peter kills it on keys again. You, you know, know, you
0: know, his... Sarah, Sarah, I no? have to interrupt you. As much as you've claimed that Peter kills it on keyboards, he should be wanted for murder from from this album.
4: What do I do?
6: I don't know, man, but don't do it again.
2: Well, yes, I just, well, my brother's a session keyboardist, so I always listen to whenever there's a track on keyboards, and it's just, I think this is his best album as an instrumentalist. I mean, Head is, is kind of his spotlight album as a composer and a singer, but I think just as far as, think about all the iconic riffs and songs he has put in on this album, and try to imagine... Try to imagine Pleasant Valley Sunday without his keyboard line.
0: Right. Absolutely. It,
2: you know, um, this is another song that wraps up in another kind of Psycho Jello freak out, but uh, it works for this song, and uh, I enjoy it for what it is.
0: That's three songs on this album, right? That kind of end like that.
2: Yeah, I was going to mention that. Um, that and uh, Pleasant Valley and, uh, yeah, Daily Night Night, sort of.
0: Kind of like the psychedelic crash. Yes, yeah. Very good. Personnel on this is lead vocal Davy Jones, harmony vocal Mickey, backing vocals by Mickey, Davy, Chip, and unknown. So some guy out there unknown. Spoken words by Mickey Dolans, electric guitar, Mike Nesmith, bass, Chip Douglas, drums, Eddie Ho, and again, it for murder on the keyboard, in a good way, Peter Tork. Moog synthesizer by Paul Beaver. Song was about the growing phenomena of groupies. An alternate mix without Paul Beaver's Moog riffing was used in the TV show in the biker-themed episode, The Wild Monkeys. A different version of the Mogless mix is featured on Rhino Records' 2007's two-disc re-release of the album. This song was used in the following episodes, The Wild Monkeys hitting the high seeds. Monkeys Wash their feet... Monkeys watch their feet... As opposed to washing them. The Monkeys <clears throat> in Paris and Monkeys Mind Their Manor. The song features Mickey singing Bye bye, bye bye. So there you go. This was recorded at RCA Victor Studios Hollywood june twenty second, nineteen sixty seven, and later at American Recorder Studio october fourth, nineteen sixty seven for overdubs and stuff like that. So very good, very good. And here's Davy Jones, live from Japan, doing Star Collector from 1981. else you want to talk about this album?
7: Um, yeah, I would like to mention that, um, of course, the Rhino Deluxe of this is great. You know, you've got the stereo and the mono, but I was a bit disappointed because it really has the least amount of um, B-sides and, you know, TV show tracks. Essentially, it's going down and just a bunch of alternate mixes for the album tracks, and I felt there was a little bit disappointed that my favorite Monkey's album kind of had the least amount of extras compared to plethora of riches that were the first three deluxe um, editions, but it's well, still great because it's a great package. It's the sound is great, and you have to.
0: You know, I have, you know, you have to have it. Well, there is no handmade set for this, correct?
2: Right. right, not yet.
0: Not yet. So it's something to look forward to. Out of all the versions that are out there, Jeff Hewlett, which would you recommend that someone pick up today?
1: Well, I, I don't think you have much choice but to pick up the latest uh, double disc deluxe version. Yeah, you know, sound quality is phenomenal. You get the mono, the stereo, a uh, bunch of bonus tracks. I'm sure eventually they'll wind up getting to a handmade box, but I think you've got a little ways to uh, to wait for that. Right. Right. So, um, you know, if you you're know, if you're desperate to pick one up today, I, I would say go for the uh, the double disc Rhino reissue. Is I,
7: it possible that perhaps maybe there just weren't any um, extra tracks from this era? I mean, I think I read somewhere at one point that. This album was recorded in nine days, like in between shooting the series. So, is it possible, maybe that, you know, relevant to this, these sessions, maybe there just isn't any, there aren't any outtakes or outtakes that are worthy
1: of being on a um, deluxe or a handmade. I'm just, that's what I wonder. I think it'll be very unmonkey-like. Uh, I, I, I'm sure there's stuff lingering around out there somewhere, and even if it's of questionable quality, you know what? Release it anyway. We're gonna buy it. Just throw it out there.
0: Complete the handmade set collections. Yes,
1: absolutely. We, you know, we have as many as we have. Why don't we have everything right. in handmade except
0: changes, maybe? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Craig Cohen, which which album should someone pick up?
5: I think it's a uh, like like Hewlett said that um, that two disc version that's out there, and and like I said, you really want to get any version where you can listen to the mono mix. Okay, excellent, Sarah. Which version?
2: Well, I'm going to go out and buy the 2007 version because I actually have never picked it up. I was going off the one-disc version for today just because I do want to hear this album in in mono and you know, kind of really do the Pepsi challenge, so uh, that's my plan.
0: I'm going to say that it is official. We recommend that you pick up the double-disc set. Pick it up. You will not regret it. Make Rhino some money put a smile on your face at the same time and yes it's possible if you get the deluxe 2 disc set of Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, and Jones Limited. So there we go. Of course the album title which is something we haven't discussed. You guys all know where that came from? The album's title stems from each band member's respective astrological sign. You want to take a guess at who is who?
2: But well, what if we all know?
1: Well, then. Well, Jones Limited is apparently Davy. I don't, I don't yeah, know. Yeah,
2: I, I think that's a safe bet. That's actually <laughs>
1: my sign, too. We have something in common with Davy. You're Jones on the Virgo Cusp, No, I'm just Jones Limited, period.
0: <laughs> Dolan's is Pisces, Peter Torque is Aquarius, and both Nesmith and Davy Jones are Capricorn. So oh, there you go. With the
2: same birthday.
0: Yes. Same exact birthday. Pretty cool. Uh, Jones' last name was placed at the end of the title to avoid confusion (laughs) plus it sounds like the hippest, grooviest law firm of all time man like Aquarius,
7: Capricorn, and Capricorn?
0: yeah Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, and Jones Limited sold more than 3 million copies did anybody think it was odd how the guitar kind of just floats amid the flowers in the drawing? kind of cool for such an iconic logo to be kind of buried if you will yeah and now, here to close out the show as only he can, to coalesce the vapors of the monkey's experience, the one, the only, Ghosty. Or you may know him as David Wills.
4: Well, Ghosty here with my thoughts on the monkey's album Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, and Jones Limited. Well, there's not much I could add, really, to what everyone else has said about this album. I mean, in my mind, this is the best Monkees album. Dare I say it, it might be one of the best albums by any band making music during the 60s. In fact, I think it's a perfect album, in much the same way that music historians regard Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys and the first Velvet Underground album and the Doors debut album, Revolver by the Beatles, Those are perfect albums, and on this one, we get the monkeys firing on all cylinders. Mike striking the perfect balance between his country rock leanings and pop sensibilities. We get the uh, snarky cynicism of Davy Jones, a side of Davy I always prefer over the guy with stars in his eyes. Mickey, yeah, may be underrepresented vocally, but when he is singing lead, it's on iconic songs like Pleasant Valley Sunday. Peter is also underrepresented, but that kind of goes with the territory on these albums, so it's nothing out of the ordinary, although he does shine on the song Words. As I said, if someone were to ask me what's the best Monkeys album, hands down, I'd have to say Pisces. It's the perfect marriage between the headstrong ethos of headquarters and the top-notch material and professionalism of their debut album. But it's not my favorite. Maybe it's just the contrarian in me, but I tend to favor the flawed monkeys' albums. The ones that seem like a cross between self-indulgence and thrown-together filler. Maybe it's because we now know about all the other stray tracks recorded around the same time that could have or should have been used on albums like The Birds and the Bees, Instant Replay, Present, Changes. Maybe I go back to those albums more often than I do Pisces because those albums need my help in a way those albums almost become interactive. Everyone has their own theories on how to improve them. I'd make the case that there's not much you could do to improve Pisces because it's perfect just the way it is. Bye bye, bye bye, bye bye,
0: bye bye, bye bye, bye bye. Well, we'd like to thank you for listening to our discussion of side 2 of Pisces Aquarius Capricorn and Jones Limited. Let us know your thoughts on Facebook or Email us or check us out in the Twitterverse. Uh, anything you'd like to say in closing, Jeff Hewlett? No, I, I think we've covered it all fairly well. All right. Sarah, is there anything you'd like to say in closing?
2: This is the album where we see the monkeys at the peak of their musical powers and possibly even their pop cultural power. It is just a fascinating period piece and also just a wonderful album. So many of these songs are just timeless.
0: Agreed. So, we hope that you can listen to this album maybe again for the first time with some fresh ears, and if you've never heard this album, we all encourage you to pick up the the double-disc set of Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, and Jones Limited. Thank you all for being here today. Thank you, Jeff. You're most welcome. Thank you, Craig Cohen. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Sarah Clark.
7: I always love
2: being here.
0: And thank you, Chris Caram.
7: Well oh, thank you for having me back and I hope we can do this again sometime
0: soon. Awesome. See you on Facebook and always remember to take some time to monkey around. Craig, you wanna hit that button? I got it. Click.
1: And that's our show. Zilch is an online non-profit monkeys audio fancy made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to the monkeys or any of their members past or present. We are not affiliated with Rhino or Rayburn. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes and buy it. If you enjoyed the show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying always take some time to monkey around.
0: All right. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Um, Not really.
5: Crap. Crap, crap. Double crap. Triple crap. Or or you can just edit down my rambling there because I, I, I think I started to ramble anyway. Never! Um, Falderol <laughs> He's a hey. rambling
2: man, yeah Falderol, <laughs> is that
5: like a, 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 a pharmaceutical drug? Falderol <laughs> It will be according to what Ken posted And, and you know, there's uh,
0: from the makers of uh, Falderol is "fuck <laughs> it all which is, you take oh, the take pill the and you just don't care anymore you just, mm-hmm. you just say "fuck <laughs> it all and you know <laughs> recommend that you take it around 3 o'clock at work
1: yeah, I'm gonna take those thirty seconds to talk absolute nonsense that you can edit into a blooper reel.
5: All right, let's do it, Jeff. When are you not talking absolute nonsense?
1: Oh, you son of a! Bitch.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Look at these <laughs> uh,
5: meatballs, man! I gotta knock him out of the park. Wily
1: mother effort. I mean, you know, he comes. He waits for the
0: premium premium moment to, to come in with a jab.
5: What we? I, I watched Rocky <laughs> Five a lot this week.
0: Jeff Hewlett, your thoughts on Purtiful I'm, I'm... <laughs> Case of the Mickey Monkey Case of the Missing Monkeys Damn it, That they didn't put an S on it Case of the Missing We've talked about songs that Michael Nesmith sang but didn't write and now we're going to sing a song We're going to talk about it, if I can ever get this I've got all night, Ken, don't yes.
5: worry
0: about it Haircuts be damned Um <clears throat> And in honor of Yvonne Craig, here's our good friend Anthony Porter and his great band Clashing Plaid with their version of Be My Bad Girl Tonight. Yvonne, we'll be out there looking for you.
4: What in the world is this? Revolving walls? Hidden rooms? Disguises? What is Barbara Gordon's secret?